You guys, I'm excited for the show. This is going to be fun. I want to talk about Brexit, some trends going on in the American church, also about Don Lemon. We'll do that and a whole lot more on this week's Corey Truax Show. I know I have some takes today. That's what we in the business, the broadcasting business, call our point of view or the point we're going to make. We say that's our take. And so I've got some takes today that I am confident you've not heard anywhere else. One of the things I, I get uh, self-conscious about is knowing of the number of you that listen, which is not as many as I want, but I'm grateful for you that listen. That if you also listen to a Matt Walsh or a Ben Shapiro or even like a Glenn Beck, that you're probably hearing some of the same stuff. And, uh, although I hope I do talk about it differently because I am coming from this very uniquely Christian and you know Matt Walsh. Matt Walsh is Catholic, so this is particularly Protestant perspective. But I have some stuff today that I I really I'm excited about because I think it's going to be things you've not heard anywhere else, and we will get started on it in just a moment. But first, my name is Corey Truax. We are dedicated to smarter deeper and better talk about everything here on the Corey Truax Show. Thank you for listening on 91.9 and 92.9, his radio talk on Saturday morning or wherever you find the podcast. I am grateful. I also serve as the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood meets in Greenville at 1030 at our property, just beachwood.cc, beachwood.cc. For more information, I'm actually preaching. If you're listening to this live on February 8th, Saturday morning, I'm preaching in the morning. Tomorrow morning on the 9th, going to be back in the book of Mark together, so we'd love to have you out. Let's start here. I could preview the whole show. Uh, I'm not going to do that. Let me just go ahead and dive in with actual content. I was about to preview the entire show. The table is set before you, okay? Let's feast. Brexit happened. And by that, of course, I mean after the people of the United Kingdom voted, I think that was in 20... 15 or 16, one or the other, I think it was 16, early 16, they voted to leave the European Union, that collection of mostly Western European countries, and the uh, as they joined together for, for trade and to partner together in lots of different things, uh, the, they remained distinct, I think, a great deal in their separate cultures. Italy remained Italian, German remained Germany remained German, the French didn't become any less cowardly. Just kidding. I am French, so I can make a joke about French people. So they maintained a lot of their cultural identity, but uh, they came together for, for lots of governmental duties, and the European Union has only gotten stronger and stronger uh, as it runs out of Brussels in Belgium, that uh, in, in some ways overruling the sovereignty of those countries and the people of the United Kingdom decided, we're done with that. I don't want to be part of it anymore. And by a fairly slim margin, they voted to leave the European Union. And it happened last week. It is official. They're on their own. Or there's going to be new currency. There's going to be, uh, like, they're not going to be using the euro there anymore. Like, it's a, it's a whole, new, uh, whole new world, and it's actually a whole old world, right? It's how it, most of human history has been with this, the, the British being independent. Now, we could talk about that from a, a, a secular perspective and the consequences on Europe and economics, but I think you might know I don't have any interest in doing such a thing because of the worldview from which I come. I saw something wholly different when I saw the news that Britain had, leave, Britain had left, 
it took me back to the late 90s and to the early 2000s and the independent, fundamental Baptist world that I grew up in. Let me take you back. Maybe some of you in independent Baptist circles, if you were coming up, maybe this was happening in, in even Presbyterian and Methodist circles. Maybe it was happening in Southern Baptist circles. But I remember so vividly the onset of the European Union. You know why? Because the, the theology with which I grew up, which I've not, not totally turned my back on by any stretch, uh, but have modulated in a lot of ways, to a really more historic and ancient tradition and understanding of Scripture. I remember the European Union coming together was a sign of the one world government. It was, go- it, w- it was this sign of the times that within, I remember hearing people say, within a decade, there will be the Antichrist and the one world government. I remember vividly hearing this, that the European Union was this symbol of all of what was coming and the prophecies that we so were so sure we understand. And here we sit, 20 years later, and the European Union is falling apart. It's, it's not going to be the last one with Britain. There's going to be more leave. You could argue, and I think successfully, the, country, the world is actually in a state of disintegration I don't mean that it's like a very negative word, like everything's disintegrating. I mean disintegrating, coming apart when it comes to matters of sovereignty. It's one of the main reasons, and one of the reasons I can actually respect, that Donald Trump won election here. Because he was more uh, an idea of independence for the country and not being dependent on others and so wrapped up with other countries in the world. And so I just I, I wanted to use this, this event, this Brexit... To, to maybe help us all recognize the TV preachers and the radio preachers, maybe some of the ones you grew up with, maybe they don't know what they're talking about when it comes to prophecy. Maybe we should stop listening to all the people that think they figured out some code. Maybe we should stop listening to the folks who have been making predictions about one world government's antichrist and the end of the world for decades and decades Maybe we should stop. I remember this. This this, this sent me down this whole rabbit trail when I thought, that's funny. The European Union is coming apart, and I was being told that it coming together was just going to be the beginning of a one-world government. Man, that whole group was wrong. They didn't just miss it by a little. They missed it by a lot. We're 20 years in, and not only was there not a one-world government when you said it was going to come quickly, not only that, it's actually coming apart. I remember all of those folks that said, you know, Israel's, found, Israel's founding, coming back as a country. Oh, it's a sign. It was a sign of the times back there in 1948. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't know. That, that helps me now be a little bit more humble as I present this. Let me calm myself down. I don't remember what year Israel came back around. It was, it was 48 or 49. And I remember people saying things about how, well, after seven years of seven, What's that, 49 years? After 49 years, there'd be a thing, and that's what we were expecting, and then there wouldn't be, nothing happened 50 years later. Here we are 70-some-odd years later. Actually, I think we're past, I think we're even past the 10, like, it's, it's been over 70 years, so even when you try to get into the, the symbolic numbers, 
it's even now been ten sevens. And it's not been the end of the world. There's not been an antichrist. There's not been the institution of a one-world government. And so, I'm going to leave this here. I'm going to move on to something else. But I just think it's a, it's something for us to take and consider when you hear all of the John Hagees and their thoughts on blood moons, and when you hear the folks talking about how they're, they just know, they know exactly what the end of the world looks like, and they've got predictions about it. Maybe after they've been wrong for several decades, we stop listening to those people. Can I encourage you in that? Maybe you should stop listening, if any of you are, to John Hagee. Stop listening to these guys that think they know stuff. They predict it. It doesn't happen. And then we and and, and then we're and people continue to go back to them. And use it maybe as a moment of confidence, this Britain leaving uh, leaving the, the European Union as an example. Twenty years ago they all told us it was the beginning of a one world government. Twenty years later, it's falling apart. So maybe they don't know what they're talking about. Speaking of, I'll do this probably fairly short. I'm a fan of this thing called the Bible Project. I would highly encourage you. And I'm, what I, I mean this. If you are listening to me right now and you've not listened to an episode of the Bible Project, turn me off. Go find that podcast. They are just excellent. Good night. I've learned a lot from those guys. And it's, it's, a, it's one scholar who just knows all of the ancient Hebrew, a little bit of the Greek, but most of the ancient Hebrew, and they, they give you the context of Scripture really well culturally about who, who was reading it first. I, I, they're, they're just brilliant, and I love people who are just so out of this world, smarter than I am, teaching me things. And I, I learned something from them here recently that I wanted to use as an encouragement for you to actually get into the Scripture and study, to actually seek out. I mean, I, not all of my listeners come from a Christian perspective, but 90-some-odd percent of you do that when we get intimidated by the idea of getting into scriptural study, don't. It's actually a blast. And you're in the, the golden age of scripture study. You're living in the best time there's ever been to study the Bible. And the Bible's incredible. Its stories are compelling. And so and with all the tools, what I mean by being in the golden age, all the tools that we have now to study scripture, oh, it's incredible, including the Bible Project. So I'm going to give you an example of this. That blew my mind this week. We'll take a break. We'll come back and get into other stuff. You go to the beginning of the Bible. We're going to talk about a pattern here, a design pattern in the Bible that the authors put there on purpose and that God designed on purpose. So go to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. We got Adam, Eve. We have a tree, a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you know the story that at this tree is where mankind comes into its, its curse. But it was also at the tree where mankind had to make a decision. Do I trust God in what he said, or do I take control for myself and trust me more, and I doubt God? So man had to make a choice there, and then the consequence of his choice was paid for by a sacrifice near the tree. That There was the tree of choosing, and it led to a sacrifice of an animal there, the skins covered out of an eve. So that was the original design pattern. Mankind is faced with a choice, makes the wrong choice, there's consequences, there's a sacrifice to pay for the choice. Move that forward. You go to Noah. Well, what about, and you're reading the Bible, okay, well, can Noah do what Adam did? Can Noah, because the Bible says he was a righteous man, can he make the right choices when he gets to the tree of choosing? 
Then the writer of Genesis, Moses, does a, a does a, does on purpose talk about the type of wood, the gopher wood that he builds the boat with. And oh yeah, I, I missed a detail. Eden is talked about. The Garden of Eden is talked about being on a high place. So it's a it's a high garden. It's a garden up on a high place where. Uh, by a tree, a choice was made, then it had to get paid for in sacrifice. Then we move forward to Noah. Noah ends up on an ark. It's a tree made of trees. It lands on a high place where he had to make a choice as they were planting all of the all the new stuff, basically a garden on a high place sitting by a tree, and there ended up having to be right sacrifice for the payment of the choices. You move on to Abraham and Isaac. Abraham takes his son up the uh, up to whatever mountain that is. I cannot remember the name of that mountain. It's not Carmel, Tabor. Ah, I can't get it in my head. But takes it up, takes him up the mountain where on the way up, he saw a tree, a tree of choosing, and he had to choose. Am I going to trust God to keep his promise that that Isaac was going to be this promised seed or am I not going to trust God? He chooses to put that tree on Isaac, goes up to a high place And then before sacrificing his son, they turn and see salvation. They turn and see a sacrifice in a a tree. And then I could go on, but we could make this shorter by saying, then later in the New Testament, you get Jesus, who has a tree on his back, goes to a high place up on Calvary where he serves. He had his tree of choosing, by the way. His tree of choosing was in the garden there as he's praying, not my will, but yours be done. He makes his choice to do that which God commanded him and sent him to do. Goes up on a high place and is sacrificed for the sins of the redeemed. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. There is design patterns all over the place. Jesus finally did what Moses couldn't, what Noah couldn't, what Adam wouldn't and couldn't. And so, man, it's just the golden age to study the Bible. With all the tools out there like Bible Project, like, like Logos, I just wanted to encourage you you folks, my people, study the scripture. It's not something you're going to ever regret. Get those tools and let's dive in. If you have, by the way, uh, different observations you make in scripture, I'd love to hear them. Let's, let's, let's get a conversation started. The show is always better when you talk back. And you can do that at CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. We're going to take a break. or a little bit over, a little bit long. When we come back, we're going to talk about four trends in the American church. Four trends in the American church for 2020. And then we'll talk about, oh, I got a very controversial one about how we treat our pets. We'll do that when you come back for the rest of the Corey Act Show. Welcome back to the Corey Act Show. Hey, be really nice to me and do this. Follow on Facebook and Twitter. You can also send me a friend request on Facebook, or you can find the Corey Truax Facebook fan page and click like on that as well. That would be very, very helpful. As always, I am grateful when you share the show. Some of you do that so faithfully. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you, others who share the show with regularity. That is helpful, and I can't... Uh, I mean that. I, really, I, could, I couldn't thank you well enough for being willing to put it out there in the world that you actually listen to me. Let's move on. Uh, I love Tom Rainer. If you don't know about Tom Rainer, he is one of the church growth expert types that is actually orthodox and uh, is regulative in his principle. Here's what I mean by that. There's a lot of church growth people out there that are basically just marketing people. They might as well work for Disney. There's no theological 
they're not they're not theologically grounded. They just ask the question, what works? What will put people in this building? I actually had a, a comment from a good friend on Facebook the other day when I was talking about I, I posted something about don't not letting a not letting a bad church experience keep you from church. And he mentioned that some people have had bad church experiences because some people treat church as business. And that's just accurate. There's a lot of people that do. It's a very sad thing. And there's church growth experts and consultants that treat it that way. But Tom Rainer is not one of those. He runs the, uh, I think it's called the Growing Healthy Churches Project or something. Um, So he helps with church growth. He does research. But he's regulative in his principle, which means... When we talk about worship and what you do in church, you do that which only Scripture says you can do. So that keeps you from doing crazy things like playing a bunch of secular songs, trying to put on the best light show, rock concert, uh, dunk, uh, what are those called, dunk tanks, and the other madness that you might see in churches. All right, so Tom Rainer has, uh, near the end of the year, put out new trends that we will see in the church world in 2020. I just want to briefly give you those. Number one, Tom Rainer says that our worship sizes will grow significantly smaller. Now, this is important to get one and two together because what he's not predicting as a trend is the church at large shrinking, that just fewer people will be going. So one, he says the sizes of the of the worship gathering, how many people show up, will shrink, but take in number two with it. That there will be a significant increase in the number of worship services offered at other times than Sunday morning. So what he's saying is, we are going to have a situation where the same amount or more people are going to start going to Protestant churches, but that is primarily because churches are moving towards offering services at other times. And this is where the the research and the polling and the questions come in. There's apparently just a lot of folks that don't don't want to go on Sunday morning or can't uh, because of work situations. And so his prediction is the, on the trend is you're going to start seeing people offering middle of the middle of the day on Sunday or Saturday night, maybe sometime midweek. But we're going to do our service at a different time. And he's right. I've already seen this at the beginning. In that some big churches I love, like the like the Village Church down in Texas and Dallas, they do a Saturday night service. So you can go, I think it's 6.30. 6.30 Saturday night, and then they have all of these services on Sunday. I think it's four, four or three or four different times. Same service each time, but it's a different, uh, uh, just different time to meet. I've seen one church here in the upstate that I love, a church at Greer Station. They are now renting a space from... Uh, Res Church, Resurrection Church, which, uh, by the way, you should listen to the Westminster Doxology podcast. So Cody Fields and his pastor Bradley Cox, which is at Res Church, Res, uh, Resurrection Church. They do their own podcast. It's great. Uh, they, now Church at Greer Station rents from them, and they're meeting at 2 in the afternoon on Sundays. And I think we are going to see that more and more. There's just those that Sunday morning doesn't work because of their own schedule. Now, I would argue this. And I'm going to do it gently. If you are in a work situation or some other life situation keeps you from worship with other believers on Sunday, on the Lord's Day, I would gently encourage you 
to start working your way towards a situation where Sunday can be the time that you go and meet with other believers. I think I'm going to stop there, uh, but that's the Tom Rainer pr- uh, prediction. The number of people showing up to services will be smaller, but that's because more churches are going to spread out how many services they offer to uh, facilitate all the people's different needs when it comes to meeting times. I'm not going to stop. I got to go. I got to make a point on this. I suspect the design of the Lord was not for us to all be this busy. I, I'm including myself on this. That anytime I need to, tr- to try to squeeze anything in new, it's, imp- like it's just impossible because of how tight my schedule is. We're probably not supposed to be that busy. We should probably all be finding ways in which so we have more margin of time to give to others. But certainly in the organization of our week, going to be with the Lord's people to hear the Lord's word from the Lord's man on the Lord's day should be a high, should be the high priority for us and our families as we organize our week. All right. So Tom Rainer says fewer people showing up to services, but having more services. Number three trend in 2020 for churches, church facilities will undergo dramatic transformation. So what the studies are showing and the uh, the data is the the big the big boxes that we built during the seeker sensitive world uh, when all of these mega churches came around because people are wanting to meet at different times and it seems that people are now asking for more intimate settings that churches are going to start looking different uh, and also just budgets but the budget crunch of trying to maintain a giant building when you really could do something smaller, a storefront situation, and just have three services instead of putting everybody in one. There's a lot of different reasons, by the way, in this study. Uh, but his his bigger point is it does seem as if in the in the data the responding churchgoers say, "I want to be in a smaller situation. I don't want to be in such a giant situation. I want to be able to see people and know people and get to know folks." And so uh, the idea there is having a smaller setting for church is going to be more desirable, so churches are going to change. And then number four, attendance is going to become a greater emphasis. Now you say, uh, every church I've ever been a part of thought attendance was very important. They emphasized coming to church a whole bunch. But he's actually saying, and the respondents in the surveys are saying, we know it's important because my work life doesn't seem like a community anymore. And my, uh, my, my, even my family is far flung all the way across the state and across the country. I don't know my neighbors, and I, I can tell that life is to be done with others, that doing it in an isolated way is unhealthy, and that the people are going to start putting a bigger emphasis on it. And so uh, from Tom Rainer's lips to God's ears, I hope that is the case. So there you go, 2020 trends in the church world more services, fewer people going to each service, smaller settings, and people playing a, placing a higher uh, higher value on actually getting there. We'll stay with a Bible topic, a Christian topic, although it's also a conservative topic. You know, a couple weeks ago, I waded into the pornography conversation that was happening in conservative circles. So out on Twitter, at the podcast broadcasting world amongst conservatives— there was a lot of talk about 
whether government had a role in in banning porn. So I I waded into it. This is one of the fun parts about being a conservative is we argue with each other. We actually do disagree on some things and we'll we'll flesh those things out in an intellectual way. I don't think you had that as much on the left. With the left, it's you agree with all of our stuff or you're you're uh, you're excommunicated. You we are a religion and you're not speaking the language, you're not keeping the sacraments, you're out. It's like they practice church discipline on their own their, their own folks on the left. Where folks on the right, we, we I think we disagree better. We're better at disagreement. And there's certainly exceptions to that. But at large, we're better at disagreeing. And there's been a controversy here lately amongst conservatives about animals, about pets, how much money we spend on them and how they get talked about like they're children. Like we even call them fur babies. So that's been a discussion in the conservative world. And so I wanted to weigh in. Here's basically what happened. One of my favorite broadcasters, Ali Stuckey, she's really talented. Uh, she and I are on the same page theologically. Um, if if I could if they could if I could find them, they're Ali Stuckey out there. That would not be a, a bad situation to be in. She's she's brilliant. She's articulate. She has a, a lot of great theology. She recently had her first or second kid. I can't remember. And it began to bother her how much people talked about their pets as babies. And her argument was mostly theological. Your pets are awesome. They are not babies. And so stop talking about them that way. Stop comparing my motherhood to you getting a new puppy. Uh, And she made some biblical arguments. And then you had some argue back that let people have the freedom to design their own lives. That pets are the new babies that folks want to have fewer kids or they wanted to have no kids. Having kids was an old traditional thing that not everyone wants to be a part of, but we we love our we love our pets like we love our kids, so just lay off, let people live their lives. And so that's been the the argument. I want to weigh in on a couple of things. First, I want to go to scripture and give two points because who cares what I think? Let's all care about what the Bible says. Two concepts here. First, man is made in the image of God, imago Dei, and we are uniquely made in that image. No horse as majestic as it may be, no lion as powerful as it may be, no whale as vast as it may be, none of them are the image of God. Only man has the image of God imprinted on him according to Genesis. And so, We are a little lower than the angels, but we are a lot higher than the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea. We are unique. We're actually given dominion and authority over all animal life. So that's our job here. The the environment and animal life should thrive under our care. So we care for animals in the environment, and we care for it in a way that also we benefit from it because creation and animals were not made, we were not made for it. It was made for us. God gave us a good gift in animals and the environment around us. So that's principle one of scripture. Script, uh, principle two goes somewhat right, right, along, right along with it. I will read to you from the ESV version, the English Standard Version of Proverbs 12, verse 10. Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. Other translations will talk about the uh, the righteous person having regard for the life of his beast. They'll just lay it out as 
the righteous person cares for the well-being of animals. And that goes along with point one because, of course, they were given to us to have authority over. And if God gave us something he, and he said it was good, he made them and said they were good, he wants us to take care of, of our animals. So first, biblical points. That's our job. Humans are definitely above animals, but in our job is to care for them well. Number two is a point about the, it's a commentary on our people. There is something about animals, they have a, um, an advantage over kids in this way. And an advantage over kids, I mean, if you're, a, if you're a 25-year-old and you want either a baby or a pet, and you start thinking about the two differences, and in this culture where we have, I'm trying to tread so lightly, um, in this culture where we've deferred adulthood, we're not treating people like adults until their late 20s or early 30s, that they're in still some kind of adolescence into their 20s. So the responsibility of a baby seems overwhelming, and people say they're not ready for one. That pets end up playing that role because there is a there is a, a motherly instinct. Women want to mother something. There's a fatherly instinct. We men, we want to father something. It's, it's, it's built into us, and that's a good thing. We end up filling it in with animals. So the, that advantage. The advantage that the, the, the animal has over the baby. Babies grow up. You know how awesome babies are? Guys, I mean this. I'm a 33-year-old man. I don't mind saying it. I love babies. They're just awesome. They're so warm. They smell great. They don't do much. They're just adorable. And especially with me not having had my own, when I say they don't do much, I mean that. Like when I'm in a room with a baby, they're just sweet. They're, they're just want to be, they don't, they, I say want to be held. They're just easy to hold. They're asleep most of the time. Babies are awesome. And I love me some, uh, some babies as they grow up, like that young age when everything is exciting. And everything can be a game. As the boy, my two nephews are coming up. I just love that age. And I will admit, I miss it. I miss my boys at two years old and three years old. Those, these are good times now. These are good times now. But those were so sweet. And you parents out there, you know what I'm talking about. Because I'm not a parent. I got to pretend to have that role in some ways. And for my listeners, because I know I have quite a few actually who are parents in their 20s and 30s, and you got young kids, treasure this time, guys. It gets by you so quickly. And so what happens with babies is they grow up. They start to get bad habits. They talk back. They disappoint you. They make destructive choices. They choose the wrong friends. They get into accidents that cost you emotional capital and money. In short, babies grow up and they become adults. In those adolescent years and those teen years and the angst of those 20s, that is hard. You know what a dog does? It basically stays the same the whole time. It never grows up. It's always a baby. It never comes out of the stage where it's not always excited to see you. It never comes out of the stage where it's not always going to be motivated by the exact same things. I've got a, actually sitting here to my left is one dog and on my right is the other. As I 
record the show, both asleep, despite me yelling next to them. And if I said the wrong word here, because it's next to me, i got to spell it, T-R-E-A-T, T-R-E-A-T, if I said that word right now, both of them would run right to where those things are and expect to be given one, tails wagging, ready to go. If I said right now, even though they're both asleep, if I said the words, do you want to, and I would say uh, G-O and then space O-U-T-S-I-D-E, if I said that, they would spring up, run straight to the door, right to where the leashes are. Like, that's what they would do because they're dogs. And they're going to do that till they're dead. They're, they'll never have anything different. They're not going to behave differently. They're never going to do anything that disappoints me or makes me, makes me sad. Like, they might tear something up or something, I guess. But they're being used as a, for a lot of people, as a substitute for children and they're being used as well because they're an easy, they're like easier than kids. They're easier to raise. But we go back to our original principle. Only humans are made in the image of God. And therefore, as we care for our pets, and it's righteous to care for your beast, we just recognize that the child right now, with the with the quote worst of developmental disability with the worst physical ad uh, admira- not what's the abnormality yeah abnormality that child is in inf- oh, let me keep going the most intellectual challenge and physical de- deformity or ab- abnormality if you want to say it that way the most disobedient kid the most snot-nosed mean that kid has more valuable has more value in the eyes of God than whatever the most prized racehorse is on this planet right now. Because he's made in the image of God. So what I would speak into this controversy about how we care for our pets is they're a good gift. Steward them well and love them. But they're there to serve you, not the other way around. And if the Lord blesses you with children... We care about them so profoundly more. And even not our own. We care about every human so much more profoundly than even these awesome good gifts God has given us in our pets. When we come back, Don Lemon made fun of Trump supporters, and I think my take on, or at least he laughed at jokes about them, I think my take on this is going to surprise all of you when you come back for the rest of the Corey Act Show. I told you so. I told you so. I said this show was going to be very unique with takes that no one else has. And I had a very unique one there about the Bible and pets and way and ways to read the Bible and an encouragement for its patterns and getting into those. Talking about Brexit from a particularly theological standpoint. Trends in the church. Guys, it's an episode like no other episode of any podcast anywhere for better or for worse. Thanks for listening to The Corey Truax Show on his radio talk 91.9 and 92.9 or wherever you find podcasts. I am grateful. Now, if you traffic in conservative circles, you will have heard the audio I'm about to play for you. Where Don Lemon of CNN had two guests on his show and one of them, Rick Wilson, who is, he's one of the mean never Trumpers. Like he he and I were on the same page in the 2016 
election in that I can't stomach the idea of casting a vote for this scoundrel, so I can't do it. And those that did, I didn't have any ill will towards. I actually understood those that went the other way, not enthusiastically, but just like, ah, right, these there's two viable choices, I guess, ah, whatever, I'll have to pick one of them. With those people, I just love those people. I want to hug them and go, man, that was probably hard for you. My, mine was hard too. Rick Wilson, though, like he's he's mad about it. Like he doesn't like you people. Like anyone who possibly voted for him, like he he does he thinks lowly of those folks. So I want to play for you. And by the way, never Trumper. Rick Wilson is a Republican, so he's got some conservative leanings, and but he's he's very mad about the Trump stuff. In any event, let me play it for you. They start making fun of Trump supporters. Don Lemon laughs a lot. It's gotten a lot of play in conservative media. My perspective on what you're about to hear is a little unique, so let's hear it from Don Lemon, Rick Wilson, and some other guy that I can't remember the name of on CNN from a couple weeks ago. It's a, it's, he's just trying to demean her, and it, obviously it's false. And look, he also knows deep in his heart that Donald Trump couldn't find Ukraine on a map if you had the letter U and a picture of an actual physical crane <laughs> next to it. He knows that this is, you know, an, an administration defined by ignorance of the world. And so that's... That snorting you're hearing is Don Lemon laughing at that joke that's not even all that good. Now, I love humor like that. I love, you would know Ukraine if there was a letter U and a picture of a crane. I think that's, I think that's funny. Most people don't find that kind of humor funny. Here's more of the clip. Partly him playing to their base and playing to their audience, uh, you know, the, the, the credulous boomer rube demo that backs Donald Trump um, that, that wants to think that, that, that Donald Trump's a smart one and they're, oh, y'all, y'all, y'all elitists are dumb. And part of the controversy here is his use of a Southern accent there that he's characterizing Southern people in a very insulting way. And I, I, listen, I'm, I'm impossible to offend. That's one of my... I don't know that it's good, but I, I'll give you an example of this. We'll get back to it. We, I have a new um, up, up at North Greenville University. There's a new vice president who's he's my boss's boss, so he's a couple levels ahead of me, like quite a few. And he and I had a very frank conversation. He was, I think, trying to be sensitive about how we do things and things he wants to change. And I had to stop and say to him, "I'm impossible to offend. Literally, nothing you can say." Is gonna make is gonna like hurt my feelings and make me offended, and so I got Rick Wilson here making fun of Southern people. I'm technically Southern, but I'm unoffended by it because I'm impossible to offend. That was part of the controversy, though, is he put on the Southern accent to illustrate ignorance. Here is more of the clip. Are you elitist with your geography and your maps and your spelling, even though my your math and your reading? Yeah, you're reading. You know. Your geography, <laughs> knowing other countries. And Don Lemon can't get it together. Um, he's he's uh, he's hysterical about all of these jokes, as if they're very funny. You probably already know the fallout of that is a couple nights later, Don Lemon said he laughed at the Ukraine joke, the Ukraine on the map, but then he, he didn't hear a lot of the rest of it. By the way, I believe him. I've not done... I think I've only done TV twice. I was on a scene on seven for like a five minute segment. I've done one other TV thing that's escaping me at the moment. Oh, oh and then I did some election coverage uh, with the, we, we have a TV station up at North Greenville University. Obviously it doesn't, it doesn't broadcast anywhere but on campus. But we have all that same equipment. 
And so I have noticed with the and Josh Kimbrell, by the way, on 91.9, 92.9, he's talked about this. When you're when you're working remote, when one of you is in uh, in this particular uh, interview, Tal, uh, Rick Wilson was in Tallahassee, Florida. It was Washington D.C. for the other guy, and Don Lemon was in New York City. So Tallahassee to New York City to Washington, they're all working with these mics and these earpieces linked up by satellite. There are delays and interference, and when you're actually hosting a show that I've, boy, have I heard, I've had I've had this happen. You'll get someone talking in your ear, like a, like a director or a producer telling you how many seconds to this and when to go to break. So he's got Rick Wilson who said a moderately funny thing. He starts laughing. Then you get two voices in your ear making jokes back and forth, and probably a producer in there telling you two minutes to this. We've got this uh, sound on tape that's coming. He says he didn't hear a lot of the other jokes. I believe him. It's, it's truly broadcasting is chaos. Broadcasting on TV is chaos and what's going on in their ears. Okay, so that was the, the clip. That's the controversy. And the, the RNC took advantage of it, Republican National Convention. They put out an ad about how the, basically the left, the Democrats, the media, they think you're a joke. That was their, their line on the ad. They don't just hate Donald Trump. They hate you. They think you're a joke. All right. I have some thoughts. That's probably true. Yeah. The folks at CNN, the the elite of the country, if you want to call them that, they look at suburban and small town America with some contempt. They think you're un, they think we are uncultured and not intellectual and uneducated that we think in a backwards way. That's probably all true. The metropolitan people of the United States look down on the small town folks. All right? But you know what's true? The feeling is mutual. I can't get mad at Rick Wilson for those jokes and Don Lemon laughing at him and the other guy that I, I feel terrible for not knowing his name. The other guy making those jokes. Because that's what suburban and rural people do. That, that thing that Rick Wilson said, that Donald Trump's a smart one, and you, got, you would lead us, you're the dumb ones. Maybe not in that accent, but that's actually a thing people down here think. They think Donald Trump is smart, and they think the graduates of George Washington University and NYU are stupid. You, it's one of the themes down here. One of the themes is we got common sense. They might have all that book knowledge, but we, we know how things work in the real world. And so... The feeling is mutual. I talked about this for like 30 minutes on a previous show. We have contempt for each other. That folks in small town America look at the folks in New York City, Washington, D.C., and L.A., and they wag their finger at them. They look down at their nose at them morally, and they think they're just so backwards, and they've got some good evidence. Folks in D.C. and New York City, which I love, by the way. I love New York City. uh, And L.A., they don't know that men are men and women are women. They think... That you could you can identify as a gender. They think you can identify as another race. Yeah, that's dumb and that's insane. And there's some contempt the small town people feel for big town folks. And this, the feeling is mutual. You do you think there hasn't been in small town America around a 
on a campfire, around a bonfire on a Friday night with Jim Bob and Billy sitting around with a couple Coors Lights, haven't said much more mean and vulgar things about Anderson Cooper, about Barack Obama. Come on now. We're going to treat this like it's some big deal. They're looking down on on small-town America. Well, small-town America flips them a bird all the time. And so the thing to know is, hey, everyone, let's stop being that way together. Let's stop looking at everyone with contempt. Those that aren't like us and don't think like us and don't live like us, maybe they're still people deserving of respect. Could that, could that possibly be one of the things we should consider? So no, Rick, Kelly, Kelly, whatever his name is, those jokes are mean. They're bad. And yes, it shows that you look on small-town America contemptuously. Equally, hey, small-town America, did you know that Don Lemon's a person? You don't get to hate him? You know that Rick, it was, uh, not Rick Kelly, Rick Wilson. That Rick Wilson, as mean as he was, he's also a person. And you don't get to hate him? We'd all do well if we'd stop being the people that just mock each other like crazy and make fun of each other and look down on each other because we're, we're different. I told you so. I told you my take was going to be different than everyone else's take. Uh, on this video, it's been conservatives talking about how how mean the, 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 the liberals are, and the left is, and how demeaning they are. And it's been the left saying, well, those are just jokes. Everyone get over it. And what I'm saying to you is, well, no, they meant the jokes. They do look down on you. If you voted for Donald Trump, listen to me, they look down on you. They think you're a moron. But do you think the same thing about them? Would you say equally mean things about them? The answer for a lot of, I do, I'm going to say it, you, not just Americans, probably some of you listening to me. If you're listening on, I think, I think my podcast audience is very different than my radio audience. Those listening on radio, yeah, you probably have. You do think some very negative things about them. And so the solution is, let's all stop that. Let's all stop hating each other in that way. So it looks like I've actually finished the show faster than I thought. And so a couple things I wanted to do, uh, I get to do. So first, I actually just wanted to shout out to my dad, who I think listens on Saturday mornings live. Uh, he retired and decided to start flipping houses. And he just sold his first house. And I love my dad. Uh, I think I've said on the show before, all the good stuff about me, you can credit to my heavenly and earthly fathers. And all the bad stuff about me is my own daggum fault. And so I just want to shout out to dad. Sold his first house. Well done, sir. Proud of you. And I just thanks, and also thanks for listening. Uh, the next, the other thing I wanted to do was Charlie, who's a faithful listener, faithfully shares the show, sent me an email about creation theology because I've said I'm, I'm okay with people who don't hold to a literal view of Genesis. He wrote in uh, very thoughtfully and said, uh, giving, Corey, giving a few thoughts that don't need to be rehashed on the show, um, although I'm rehashing them. <laughs> First, I'm not a biblical scholar or professor of hermeneutics. Secondly, while I, I, I believe while AIG, Answers in Genesis, and Ken Ham believe the creation story is ultimately truth, they wouldn't necessarily require belief in it for salvation. I, I agree with you, and that's good news. I don't think they would. And if I implied that, and I think I did, that's my fault. So thank you, Charlie. Uh, they would, this is back to his email, they would simply say you grow into knowledge, but similar to the Calvinism-Arminianism debate, your ultimate beliefs color other parts of your theology. That is a good point. 
Um, then he gives me two scriptures uh, that is, apart from Genesis, uh, from Jesus in John 5, he says, For if you believed in Moses, you would believe in me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my, uh, believe my words? And then, in tw- I think you can get the argument from that, uh, what he's making there. And the second is from Exodus 20.11. This actually is a compelling argument. Uh, for in six days the Lord made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that's in them, and rested the seventh day. So and it is a um, it's a good point. So here is Moses writing and saying, "What well, I'm telling you in a literal way to work for six 24-hour days and then rest for a 24-hour day just like the Lord did. And so that is something to ponder and chew over. I've been challenged by that. I think I've made pretty clear. I don't know what I believe about creation. I have a lot of trouble with Genesis 1 through 11. I'm just not sure. I'm talking chapters 1 through 11. There's a lot of questions I have. I'm I'm comfortable with that. I'm comfortable wrestling through it all and trying to figure it out. And the fact that I don't know right now, I'm okay with. Maybe I'll know when I'm 60 or 70 or 80 or maybe I'll have some I'll be taught something. Uh, but Charlie, thanks for writing in. I know you didn't want to rehash it, uh, but you are a faithful listener and sharer of the show, and so I wanted to get that on the show. Next week, when we come back, we will talk about the, the Super Bowl. As I am talking to you right now, it has not actually been played, and I can't wait for it. I was explaining to my nephew, who doesn't like football, that if you would just watch this one thing, it's, it's one of the only communal things we still have as a country. And as a world, you know, the world comes together to watch the Super Bowl. We don't do anything together anymore because of Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime. We all watch everything when we want, on demand. There's never a communal experience. But the Super Bowl, when it comes, it is communal. We all get to have it together. If you're listening to this uh, when the podcast comes out or live, the game's already happened. Uh, but I am, I'm just ready for the game, and I can't wait for it to spend some time with one another. Since I have 10 seconds as well, and I did a personal thing, also happy birthday to my brother-in-law, Jason Hoffman. He's awesome. All right, we'll be back with another new edition of the show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.